greetings, everyone. A new um, fun intro from John. Thanks so much. And welcome, everyone. I'm Amy Antonucci, and I'm here to welcome you to our True Tales Live Zoom show on May 31st, 2022. Thanks to everyone for watching or listening and listening. Um, and especially those who are here in our live online audience. We are so glad to have you, yay. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell first-person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us to bridge differences and build understanding and respect for everyone. We are so happy to be here with you, even on Zoom. And we do have some suggestions for making the most of the online format. We've learned a lot in the past year or two. So we really believe that storytelling is an exchange between teller and listener. And here's how you can help us keep that going. If you do have your video on, we love it when you have big physical reactions to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. Um, you can also express your reactions in the chat box, which we save and share with the tellers later. The other thing you can do in the chat box is put in questions that occur to you for the tellers. We have a short Q&A segment and that will feature your questions towards the end of the show. So go ahead and add those in there too. So over the next hour, We'll bring you stories on the theme of one thing leads to another, which turned out to be a very popular theme. We had to actually turn a number of people away. So I think we'll be seeing that one again. We will hear stories from Kate Braun, Kamisha Foley, and Mio Yamauchi, followed again by the Q&A with the tellers and then an interview segment. First, here comes Pat. Pat Spaulding is our MC tonight. So join me in welcoming her to move us along. Alrighty, hello, hello, hello. Um, first up, we have Kate Braun. Born and raised in Milwaukee, she has lived in Minnesota, West Virginia, Kentucky, South Carolina, and New Hampshire. After living in and loving New England, as well she should, for 26 years, she moved back home to Minneapolis. Throughout Kate's career, she has taught acting classes, led creative dramatics, and directed theater productions at schools and colleges from Boston down south to the Midwest. Trained as an actor, she's worked with various New England theater companies, including Threshold Stage, Act One, New Hampshire Theater Project, and Seacoast Rep. Although Kate is fairly new to the art of storytelling, she has the benefit of having listened to her husband for many years, whom, uh, who was a very commanding storyteller. You'll hear more about him in tonight's story when Kate describes her difficulty being a sentimentalist who has assigned herself the task of downsizing. <laughs> uh, I, I feel your pain, Kate. As many of us who've taken on this task know, it may not be easy, but someone has to do it. Because in the end, as the title of Kate's story attests, you can't take it with you. 
All right, Kate, come on up. Thanks, Pat. I have never been one to throw things out. Whether they're family heirlooms, furniture, clothing, books, pictures, or grandma's china, I've always had a tendency to keep things close to my heart. Even when my brother and I cleared out our uncle's apartment, which was in total disarray, littered with all the junk my uncle had kept over the years. There I was, carefully packing up my aunt's good china. The same china I remembered from all those Christmas Eves as a child. On the other hand, my brother came in, took one look at the cluttered mess, and immediately called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Two guys, both by the name of Jesus, drove their truck up to the second floor balcony and at my brother's instruction started heaving stuff over the railing into the truck bed below. I continued with my packing in the kitchen, committed to rescuing my aunt's china. Yet, seeing how quickly the rest of the apartment got cleared out, I remember thinking at the time just how lucky we were in getting two saviors for the price of one. Now, even though most of what was thrown out that day was already trashed, it was a real eye-opener for me, seeing just how quickly stuff can be tossed. <laughs> that is, if you're unattached to it. Conversely, going through my husband's things since he passed away some 10 years ago has has been a long, ongoing process. You see, my husband, Court, was a collector. And after living with his various collections over the years, I too had grown attached to them. One of our favorite pastimes was what Court called vagabonding. We'd get in the car, start driving in whichever direction and stop at any antique store or used bookshop along the way. Court always said the thrill was in the search and he'd always have a list of things he was collecting at any given time. At first, I was content searching for things from Court's list, but after a while I thought, I want to start collecting my own stuff. So, I started my own list, things such as perfume bottles, women's biographies, old photos, and masks, the cultural kind, not the COVID kind. But one thing leads to another, and the more stuff you collect over the years, the more stuff you or someone else will have to deal with when the time comes to let it go, because in the end, you can't take it with you. Being a professor of theater, Court had accumulated an assortment, a huge assortment of theater memorabilia. And before we sold the house, I spent one whole summer packing up his collection of theater books, programs, posters, and playbills in order to ship them off to his alma mater. He was a great lover of books and had acquired an impressive library. When it came time to downsize, one of the books from his collection, a Latin Bible printed in 1482, 
sold on eBay for almost $7,000. After that, I was reluctant to throw out anything, not knowing what it might be worth. Court liked watching old movies and had a large collection of film noir on video cassette, but what do you do with old video cassettes? As someone who's committed to recycling, the thought of throwing them into the landfill weighed heavily on my conscience. Court, he was a bird lover, particularly owls. One entire wall of our family room was covered with antique owl prints that he'd collected and framed. But it was his collection of owl figurines, many of which he found on our trips together, that I've kept as my own, actually adding to it in recent years. Together, Court and I started an art glass collection, bringing back a unique piece of glass whenever we traveled. I remember we were in Italy and had just toured the Murano glass factory. Of course, at the end of the tour, we were deposited in the factory's extensive showrooms filled with hundreds of ornate glass pieces, all of it for sale. Court immediately set off on a mission to find just the right piece. I, on the other hand, found myself gawking at the abundance of glass, feeling overwhelmed by the gold and glitter, thinking it just all a little too much for my taste. But when Court came back and announced, I found what I'm getting, I asked, what? And he took me to the checkout, checkout counter and, and pointed to a shelf where his purchase was proudly waiting to be packed up and shipped out to our home. It was a frosted green vase in the shape of an owl. Now, you have to understand that Murano glass is not cheap. And I found myself a little miffed that he had made such a purchase without even asking my opinion. So before I knew it, I found myself saying, well, I want to buy something too. I trudged back through the showrooms determined to find something, anything to prove my point. What I finally chose was a gold embossed bowl on a pedestal done in Murano's signature Millefiori style. All I really knew at the time was that it cost a couple hundred dollars more than Court's Owl. No, it was not one of my finer moments. You know, my Murano glass is beautiful, but even after all these years, I, I still have not really acquired a taste for it. Yet every time I have to move it, I'm extremely careful so as not to break it. I've actually come to think of it as kind of an albatross around my neck. I suppose I could try selling it, but as Court often said, something is only worth what someone is willing to pay. And since I have no one to pass it down to, who knows what will eventually happen to it? I suppose there's always 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Even though Court may have found the initial search thrilling, I can tell you the opposite is true when it comes to figuring out where things go in the end. 
at some point, all those things you've spent time collecting and, and caring for over the years will have to go somewhere. Unfortunately, Court spent the last few years of his life in a care facility. That's when we sold the house and I was left with the task of clearing it out. When a friend came to help, he'd shake his head at me and watch as I would struggle to put stuff in the donate pile, only to go back later and squirrel it away into the keep pile. Since then, however, I, I have moved a number of times. And each time I've tried to let go of more stuff in the process. Whether I pawn it off onto family or friends, take it to a consignment shop, donate it, or as a last resort, throw it out. It's been a long, ongoing process. But one thing leads to another. And after spending years acquiring things, I think I've finally turned a corner and letting things go. Back at my uncle's apartment, I had a flight to catch. So I left the boxes of my aunt's carefully packed china with my brother asking him to deliver them to Goodwill because I thought such China should not go to waste. Someone else might consider it a real find. I've never asked my brother what happened to those boxes, but I have a sneaking suspicion that after I left, our aunt's China went over the balcony along with everything else that day. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, dear, Kate. Yes, you'd better never ask. <clears throat> it's good not to know for sure. Um, maybe there's value in just the thought it took you to pack them up and, you know, you cared for them. Whatever happens, happens. I, I remember my, um, well, I'm going through that too. I've got two storage units now that I can't seem, one I'm paying $255 for for a month and the other one $50. Um, so I'm invested you know, 300 bucks a month just to keep stuff I can't deal with right now. My grandmother, when she wanted trips like vagabonding, like you talked about, um, it was part of the, the deal to come back with something for her collection. And in her case, it was blue glass. So she had this blue glass collection on this beautiful, intricate shelf. When I was a little kid, I would go and dust it for her because I thought it was so gorgeous. And then I inherited it. Oh, good. <laughs> you know? And there was never a place to put any of that in, in any of the houses I lived in. So um, I think we can really, all of us at this stage of the game, identify with that story. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> Coming up next, we have Kamisha. Kamisha Foley is a big fan of true tales. Thank you, Kamisha. And of storytelling as a whole. A former story district member of DC Storytelling in Washington. Um, and she is also co-author of a recently published book, Developing Your Spiritual Self, How to Listen to Your Heart and um, Find Your Soul. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, Kamisha. I'm going to look into that. Kamisha lives in York, Maine with her husband of 25 years, Brian, and their not-so-friendly feline, Fiona. Perhaps that is why she'll focus on humans tonight, not kitties. Fiona, sorry, if you happen to be purring nearby. As humans, she says, 
We want what we want when we want it, even when the universe has other plans for us. As you will hear in her story tonight, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> she doesn't say babe at the end, but how could I help? It's in my head. Thank you, Kamisha. Oh, thanks, Pat. You know, it was the summer of 2017, late August, and my husband and I had made a trip from Washington, D.C. to York, Maine, where we vacationed for many years in a row. And it was a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. I mean, the sky was purple and pink and blue as the sun started to set. And I was sitting on the beach all day. And my husband said, I'm going back to the rental. You know, he didn't know anything about New England. I was born in Massachusetts. And I loved coming back to New England every year. What he loved about New England was lobster. Really, that was just about it. But, you know, I loved coming here because it was home to me, even though I hadn't lived here since I was about seven. And... I could come back here and talk to people about sports and the Patriots, and the Red Sox, and I could wear all my gear. I could go to the Dunkin' and order a regular. And they knew that meant cream and sugar. Whereas in Virginia, I ordered a regular, I got a black coffee. Yeah, but New England was home to me, even though I hadn't lived here for a very long time. But even more importantly, the beach was home to me. I love the beach. Oh my gosh, it's the only place I feel God. It's the only place I feel the great spirit of the universe. I feel connected. So I loved every year that we came back here. And at the end of that day, when I went back to the rental to my husband, I said, we're moving here. I want to move here. And my husband smiled at me. And that long time marriage smile, you know what I mean? And he said, I know, I know, but honey, we can't move until Red gets out of college. Red was nicknamed for our daughter, Kateri. She was still in college. We can't even think about moving until she's through with college. And I had a big sigh of disappointment. I knew that answer anyways. And he knew that as soon as we pulled away and crossed out of the Massachusetts New England line, the tears would begin streaming from my face because I would miss my home and miss the place where I grew up and miss my brothers who also lived here. And we went back to Virginia and went back to our lives and our jobs. And, you know, we both had long time at our jobs, doing, doing the same things day in and day out. The DC Metro hustle traffic where it took an hour to go eight miles, you know, and I was just bored. And then as some time passed, I decided to settle into the fact that I was never going to move back to home. Well, out of the blue, I get a call from a recruiter about a job. And it was just fantastic. Not only was it like a really interesting job in my career field, I've been a lifelong executive assistant, but I mean, it was great money. And I was so excited. The more I learned about it, and then the recruiter said the magic words, this job is out of Boston. Would you be interested? I'd be interested. 
would I be interested? I tried to stay very calm. I said, of course, I'd love to learn more about it. Mid, I hung up the phone and went to my husband. I said, this is a sign from God. I'm convinced this is a sign from God. We're supposed to move back. You've got to let me try and get this job. He is the most wonderful, kind, patient, telling person I have ever known because he put up with me and all the shenanigans for me to go and get this job. It was a long, long recruiting process. I mean, like four months of interviews and test runs and um, travel and tryouts. And the whole time as I'm getting closer and closer to maybe landing this job in Boston, my husband realizes how serious it is and begins to in fact downsize our house and pack things up and clean and paint. Because if we get this job, meaning if I get this job, we're gonna have to move to New England. And I said to my husband one night, you know what? It's not York, but we'll only be an hour away. And we can go anytime we want. And then I get to see my brothers and I could go to their house to watch the sports that you're not interested in. And he just gave me that same loving smile, you know? And he said, okay, hon. And he kept on working and cleaning and tiling and doing all the things to get our house ready to sell. Well, the day came when the offer letter arrived. I had landed this job. It was February of 2019, two years after I had made my declaration that I wanted to move to York. I was so excited. I couldn't believe that the Patriots had just won the Super Bowl. I was going to be in Boston. I was going to be among my people. I was going to be at home. And I could go to York anytime I wanted. Just get in the car on the weekend and go. You know, I got to this job in downtown Boston. My husband had packed me shipped me off. He said, don't worry. The house will be ready to be on the market as soon as as soon as possible, and we'll deal with it. You know, we'll figure out a place to live. It'll be okay. He was so proud of me. I walked around downtown Boston, the seaport, that very first morning. I got up really early before my job and checked everything out. Everybody was so excited about all the energy, and it was right by South Station, and it was oh amazing. And the first day was chaotic. It was just so many new things. I just chalked it up to being a new job. The second day was chaotic too, but I, you know, I'm a professional and I've done this a long time. I just need to put some processes in place. Well, the third day was everybody on deck. The whole staff was in and we had a very busy day. And I had been hired to replace another person in the office who worked for our CEO. She had been training me, kind of chaperoning me along. She asked how I was doing. I said, well, it's a lot to learn. She said, yeah, it is. And one by one, as people left the office, I started to get myself situated to go back to my hotel because I needed to find a place for us to live up here. My husband was back tiling floors and sending me pictures of paint chips. All of a sudden, nobody was in the office except for the tools. And she said, you know what? I don't think you're a good fit here. Excuse me? No, you know, do you think you're a good fit here? 
yes, I mean, it's only day three. I mean, I figure it's going to take a while to get used to the pace. It's an entrepreneurial office, which is something new for me, but, you know, it's a lot to learn. Very suddenly, she said to me, as serious as the day is long, you, you are not a good fit here at all. My heart stopped. I looked at her. I said, are you firing me? She said, hand me your laptop and your phone. We're done here. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I, I must have gone into shock because I, I just remember handing my stuff over. I don't remember anything else about it. Because in my head was screaming, what about the house? What about the house? And I ran downstairs and called my husband. I said, you're never going to believe what happened. You see, I wasn't a good fit. And I went home to DC humiliated. On that plane, I got home, I crawled into bed. My husband just patted me on the shoulder. It's going to be okay. I was so humiliated. All I could think about was all the things that we had done and all the money we'd spent to get our house sold. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Now what? The next day, my daughter comes home from spring break and she says, Mom, it's going to be okay. It's all right. I said, I can't go back to my old job. She says, it's going to be okay. And then my brother-in-law comes over, who happens to be our real estate agent, getting ready to put our house on the market. And he says, well, what are you guys going to do now? I looked at my husband, took a deep breath. I said, I have no idea. But my husband did. He said, let's do it. Excuse me? Let's do it. He said, I've already got permission to work remotely. Let's move. Let's sell the house and go. Go where? Because I'm still in shock. He's to York. You're a happy place. I couldn't believe it. The next day, the house is on the market. Five offers, one in all cash. Sold the house in three and a half weeks. We were in Maine looking for a place to live. June 2019, six months before the pandemic. Yeah, you know what? Three years in June will be our anniversary living here in this most beautiful, wonderful place where I feel connected. And it just goes to show you can't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. Thank you. Oh, that was great, Kamisha. <laughs> wow, you, you took us on quite an emotional ride there. I have never had the experience of applying for a job that I didn't somehow make. So I don't um, have that experience of that kind of tension. But wow, what what a roller coaster ride. And um, what a peach Brian is. Don't we all want to be married to Brian? I do. <laughs> I love a happy ending. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we'll hear more uh, about Kamitra if you want to think of school, um, 
things to ask or, or um, Dave is going to be interviewing you at the, in the backstory so we can hear a little more background too. Well done, thanks. All right, let's go on to our final storyteller, Mio Yamauchi, who was born and raised in Japan. She brings a unique perspective and sense of humor to storytelling. Her insatiable curiosity and sense of humor uh, about life, people, and the world we inhabit leads her on many adventures that result in stories that delight her audience. This June, Mio's solo show, how to be Japanese, subtitled, Your Normal is Not My Normal, will be featured on Hollywood fringe in-person shows and online at the National Storytelling Network. You can find out more details about these performances at mio.net forward slash solo 2022, which we'll put in the chat or in the Q&A following her story, you can ask her about it. But right now, Mio wants us to know that if she appears to you to be sweet and innocent, which she certainly does appear to be so, well, you are so wrong. Tonight, she'll introduce us to her reckless side when one little excuse leads to an unexpected twist and turn and another turn that turn into a story titled Slow Speed Chase. Let's hear it. Mio, come on up. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> it was a beautiful fall morning in Osaka, Japan. I was on my way to see my friend who lived about eight miles away from my place. In front of me, there were about 20 bikers. <sighs> I sped and kept up with them. I was a biker chick, but I wasn't a part of the group. My ride was a 50cc scooter, which was a little bigger than a bicycle. The sky was high, the air was crisp. I was enjoying my ride with the big bikers. Then I heard a familiar sound. A police car. I was going 20 miles over the speed limit. But let me tell you. The speed limit for 50cc scooters in Japan is 18 miles per hour. Who would drive that slow unless you are on the infamous highway, the 405? I was 19 years old at the time. Getting a speeding ticket was like having a breakfast. Two officers came out of the police car and asked me for a driver's license. Sure, I said. Then a vision flashed through my mind. My driver's license sitting on the coffee table in my apartment. Not good. My apartment is far behind at this point. Driving without a license was beyond my illegal activity. I have to think fast. What should I do? What should I say? I have to clean. I have to, I have to come clean. Officers, I left my driver's license at my friend's place and I'm on my way to pick it up. I know it's not there, but I said it. Okay, miss, let's go to see your friend, but you can't drive without a license. What does it mean? 
They put me back in the police car and the younger officer rode my scooter and we traveled together, meaning we moved slower than 18 miles per hour. Obviously, they knew how to drive slow. I could see everything in slow motion. So did the rest of the world. A little girl on the street pointed at me. Look, mom, what did she do? Her mother quickly pulled her aside. Don't look. After 10 minutes of my shame time in the police car, we arrived at my friend's place. Now what? My head is spinning like a hamster wheel. But surprisingly, they let me go get my friend alone. I was like, are you that naive? If I were the police officer, I would have never let the criminal out of my sight. But in this case, I was the criminal one, so I was totally fine with it. A few minutes later, I came back with my friend. She said, officers, Mio's brother just came and took her driver's license to her apartment. Yeah, that's what we came up with. Again, if I were the police officer, I would have called the criminal's brother and found out it was a total lie. But instead, they put me back in the police car and the young officer rode my scooter and we took another slow journey to my apartment. When we arrived at my place, I was so relieved. The fiasco is finally over. While the police officers were waiting in the lobby, I dashed up the stairs, grabbed my driver's license, and handed it to them. They looked at my driver's license for a long time, and they said, Miss, this is expired. Uh-uh, I forgot to renew it. So again, they put me back in the police car. But by this time, I got so used to getting into the police car. It has become my Uber for the day. Moments later, I was at the police station, sitting in front of the chief officer, a small bald man that smells of cigar. Why didn't you renew your driver's license? Why? Can I say I just forgot? <sighs> no, you need to realize you have to be appear in the court and the judge will decide whether you're guilty or not. And I need a reason for my police report. He wasn't smiling. Neither was I. I simply forgot to renew it. What else could I say? But he needed a reason, so I gave one. Okay, officer, I forgot my birthday because nobody celebrated, therefore I forgot to renew it. How's that? <sighs> Ridiculous. You are young, you have friends, nobody believes that crap. I need a better reason than that. And he made coffee and softened his voice. Have some coffee and think about it and give me a good reason. That morning coffee 
was all I needed. Suddenly, another excuse popped in my head. Officer, I just remembered. I lost my driver's license two years ago and reissued it. What if I say I had assumed that expiration date was extended since then? Therefore, I didn't renew it. How's that? And this time, he didn't give me a big sigh. Huh, that's what you thought, right? And I didn't miss a slight grin crossing his face. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I thought. I quickly assured. He finished his police report and I took the police car home. Two months later, my case for driving without a license was dismissed, thanks to my brilliant excuse. But I still had to pay a hefty price. There was no excuse for speeding. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that was that was a, a great accumulation of, um, I think to quote Shakespeare, oh, the wicked webs we weave when first we practice to deceive. Um, great example of this situation, <laughs> but um, you had people on your side. I think because you looked so sweet and innocent, Mio, they were they were obviously trying to coach you, <laughs> and and they, I think they like driving around with you at eighteen miles an hour. <laughs> the perks of being cute. <laughs> um, that was a very che <laughs> a cheerful story to end on. Um, you know, um, really <laughs> another happy ending. Thanks. So um, now I think it's time to give it over to Amy and she, she will open up question and answers that you might have about um, the stories and the storytellers. So here you go. Thank you, Pat. And thank you to our wonderful storytellers. Um, <clears throat> so Go ahead and use the chat to start putting in uh, questions. I also have some pictures that we're going to be sharing, but um, let's let's uh, start here because Mio, we have a few questions about your. Uh, we we I think we're going to ask you more questions than those police officers asked. You. We're poking holes here. So the first one is this: Do you really have a brother? I do have a brother. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, at least we got that. Um, and would he have fibbed for you if they had thought to call him? That's what I don't know. <laughs> but obviously, yeah, at that time, he was early morning, so he was still sleeping. So probably he wouldn't have gotten a good answer for the police officers. At least not without some, if some, if he'd been prepared, maybe, but out of the blue, he was not going to, yeah, right. got it. Um, and how about now? Do you drive a scooter still? No, I don't. Uh, in the beginning of the LA life, I had a bicycle and I got hit by a car. So <laughs> now I'm driving a car. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, I, I, I've heard others have <laughs> of that uh, reaction. So, okay. How long were you a scooter driver in your life there? Oh, 
It was long, more than 10 years, I think. Yeah, and in Japan, if a scooter gets in an accident, the car driver is always in the wrong. And so, yeah, I was, I was a very careless driver. <laughs> all right, well, we're glad you're okay after all of these adventures on the scooter. <laughs> all right, let's see. Um, all right, so now I'm gonna ask Kate a question and we'll, we'll look at some pictures too. But Kate, the, the question is, do you, is uh, around your husband's owls, do you still have them? Do you want to say a little bit about them? And while you start talking about that, I'm going to share the glass owl that you talked about in your story. So, so go ahead and unmute, Kate. Uh, yes, I, I still have the owls, although I gave a lot of them away to uh, my husband's kids. Um, I still have about, uh, I guess, 50 or so owls and, and I've, I've added to them. And that is the, <laughs> that's the Murano uh, vase that court picked out in Italy. The, fl the flowers are from a glassmaker in Vermont, so. Ah, okay, so the vase itself is the owl. Yeah. That's the piece. Okay. The two, oh yeah, wow, that is cool. So it was, a, it had been a special order, but the person who ordered it didn't want it. So my husband spotted it and lucked out. All right, and, and you still like this one, huh? You know, the irony is that I actually like this piece more than the piece I chose. <laughs> so, all right. Speaking of which, now I've just got to, since Kate kindly got us a picture of this one too, you all get to see it and decide what, what you, which one you like. There's the other one. What is that called? What's, you had a name for it? Well, the um, the style is uh, Millefiori. It's it's uh, Murano's uh, one of their signature uh, techniques. They actually take all these glass tubes and cut them, and then fuse them uh, together. So that's what you're seeing. Uh, and then there's gold leaf on top of it. So, do I have any bids? <laughs> Any bids for it? <laughs> if anyone uh, wants to bid, use the chat. <laughs> Put in your email. <laughs> I'm sure she would love that. Um, great. Thank you. And I see, let's see, Kamisha, can you tell us about the sort of next step? Uh, Vicky is wondering, did anything special lead you to your new house? And has it been all that you hoped? Well, uh, anything special lead us to our new house? So we had a very short window to find a home because the person who bought our house in Virginia wanted to close on it in two weeks, which is unheard of. And um, we zipped up here um, and it's the first house we looked at and it's a beautiful small little blue cape and it's very cozy and 
I knew right away it was the right house. But my husband wanted to look at a great big house because he loves big houses and projects and things. And uh, I wanted a small house. And uh, and the second house got bought before we could put an offer on it. So again, can't always get what you want, get what you need. <laughs> got it. Um, and this is one that all of you are, are, this is a question to all of you from I think Ashton. Great one too. So the question is, if you're, especially if your story is like many years old, how do you remember all the details? Do you, did you keep a journal back then that, that, that helps you craft these? Or is it just in your mind? Any one of you want to weigh in on that? Uh, maybe raise a hand and I'll, I'll call on whoever. Kamisha, go for it. Usually the story has something in it. I may not remember all the details, but I remember the emotion. So once I go back to that moment, and ironically, I think in music lyrics. So whenever something is going on, I usually almost think about a song that I've heard that goes with what's going on in my life, which is super bizarre. But that's how I remember it. I don't know about my other storytellers because they're fabulous. I'm sure they have great tools also. Either of you want to share? Kate? Uh, well, for me, I uh, I remember the emotions just like uh, Kamisha. Um, and I, I, I find myself telling uh, bits of the story um over time and so it just gets kind of ingrained in my in my head um and then when it comes time to actually putting it all together crafting the story um yeah that might be uh where i have to go back and and look look something up i i used to keep journals i don't uh much anymore but when we traveled i i would keep a, a travel journal so nice interesting neo do you have anything to share on that how do you remember all this oh i also don't keep journal and yeah like other two storytellers say yeah i still remember the emotions and how weird or how bizarre it was and then i start from there thank you all that makes a lot of sense i mean really the heart of a story is the the feelings the emotions and i think that uh what we feel deeply lodges in our our memories more than anything else right i know it is for me um interesting okay <laughs> kamisha speaking of songs here um, the song by the stories, you can't always get what you want. So it, okay, sorry, Pat. By the stones, yep. <laughs> the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. And yeah, hey, are you so. a singer? You, you want to take a moment and sing it for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kidding, because I remember that karaoke is like, 
you had the whole story about your hatred of karaoke. So I could not resist trying to get you to sing for us. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that Pat has some songs in some of her stories. I think the first story I ever heard Pat tell, or one of them, maybe not the first, had happy trails to you, right? Yeah, and I'm actually uh, revising that story to do it again in a uh, an all adult <laughs> starts at 10 a.m. 10 to midnight show um, online in Connecticut that uh, Nina signed up. So yeah, something cowboys. Um, I hate to actually talk about them right now. It's kind of a problem politically. It's a problem, but in my youth, there was a certain romance. I think we should get rid of it. Oh well, okay. <laughs> well, no, Amy. Yeah. You know, Amy, this theme is named after a song by The Fix called One Thing Leads to Another. Yes, I, I absolutely. That's my era. So, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, talk about something else that really ties into memory. And I mean, that's one of the things that I, I remember when my, my taking care of my dad with dementia and reading these studies about how how often they were using music because people who who were like not verbal anymore when they played songs from their youth they'd burst into song like it's this whole connective memory thing that is really deep so you know very cool and and i so i think it makes a lot of sense kamisha um yeah and yes one thing leads to another i'm not much of a, a singer uh in public myself here so i won't do it but <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh let's see anything else any oh i know what we've got to do kamisha we're going to look at her wonderful pictures um oops you get that set up okay so first of all this is the one that we should look at one of our, our um, now one of our heroes, a hero of the day. Remind me of his name. Is it Brian? Brian, my husband Brian. We and and we've been married twenty, almost twenty six years. And is that on the beach in York? It sure is. It uh, it was not long after I came back from Boston. That's a great shot. I love it. Thank you. And there is another one that um, I'm gonna set up for you. Sorry, I'm slow with screen share. But um, I think you'll wanna hear it, see this. Again, people are interested in whether or not Kamisha feels she made the right choice and maybe this says something about it. She gave us this picture of the beach, is this from your house or uh, just a walk on the beach you took? This is a sunrise um, earlier this winter, probably uh, probably late March um, at, at Long Sands in York. Just a, just a camera picture from my phone, but it was just spectacular. Yes, gorgeous. I know that on the call today, there are people from a number of places, not everyone from uh, the seacoast or from even New England. So some of us, this is a, a familiar scene and some of you maybe not, but wow, it is breathtaking. 
So thank you for sharing those. That's such a fun part about Zoom that we get to to take a look at some of the things that 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 uh, we have our own pictures in our head from the stories. All right, folks. So we are just about to the time. Go. I. You can go ahead and keep um, using chat to tell our tellers. You know, anything still in your heart that you want to share, but I have a few things to let you all know about. So thank you, everyone, for being with us tonight, especially to our three wonderful tellers and to our live audience. So many of you even had your video on. You can't even imagine how fun it is to actually see you all smiling. Hi. I love it. Um, so we are soon to move to our after story conversation segment in which um, David will speak with Kamisha. But first, let me tell you, our next True Tales live Zoom show, Tuesday, June 28th, 7 p.m. It's a featured teller show. So we have one teller, Martha Reed Johnson, and she will be bringing, I believe, four of her stories. She was a regular on our show, even though she, she lives a bit of a ways, I think Western Mass, but she came to the in-person ones quite a few times. And even though Zoom is, should be easier. We haven't seen her for a while, so we're very excited for that. And you can register register for it at truetaleslivenh.org. We still have space for tellers for some of our fall 2022 shows. The dates and themes are posted on our website. Currently, we're considering the possibility of having September and October shows in person at PPN TV. But we know for sure November and December will be on Zoom. Um, and the in-person show is a pretty tentative plan. So stay tuned for more on that and we'll, we'll keep folks updated. If you want to be a teller, if you want to just think about being a teller, you just want to try it out, we really encourage you to attend one of our monthly Zoom workshops. They are usually on the first Tuesday of the month from 7 to 8.30. The next one is June 7th. You can contact us to find out more about the workshop and to kind of get on our, our teller list at info at truetaleslivenh.org. You can also register for the workshops at truetaleslivenh.org. We have a great time and it's really low stress. It's a fabulous way to, to try it out and see how it feels. You can watch our show on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at, 7, uh, sorry, at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or a podcast. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to easily access all of those, just clicking buttons, easy. Let's thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Bedingfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, Tom Osberg, Tina Charpentier, and me. I'm Amy Antonucci. And before we move to the backstory interview of Kamisha Foley by David Frainer, we have a Zoom tradition. We take one minute for our True Tales dance party, literally 60 seconds. John is going to play our music. We are going to shake off the Zoom cobwebs. And we really invite you to 
Well, if you want to just stand, you know, at least let us know you're there still. But if you want to push your, your furniture away, I'm going to do it and dance for real, please join us. And you might want to switch it to gallery view because it's really fun to, to see us all dancing. So, John, I'm handing it off to you to get our, our little 60-second uh, movement piece going.